thank you for joining me on another episode of She Leads Now podcast, where we help career and entrepreneurial women gain the tools to develop a success mindset, create winning strategies, build collaborative relationships, and take bold action towards creating impact and fulfillment in their lives and careers. I'm your host, Sabine Gideon, and I'm on a mission to awaken and activate women and emerging leaders so they can tap into their innate leadership ability, elevate their influence, and create the impact they were destined to make. If you're ready to up-level your confidence, courage, and influence, you've come to the right place. Join me weekly for insights, strategies, and resources to help you grow, develop, and embody the leader you were meant to be so that you can make the impact you know you are called to make and establish the legacy you've always dreamed. The world eagerly awaits the emergence of your brilliance, impact, and influence. So with that, let's dive into this week's episode. Hello and welcome to another episode of She Leads Now. I'm your host, Sabine Gideon, and I am excited to bring you another episode with regards to the Lead Hership Reloaded series, Reimagining, Redefining, and Rehumanizing Leadership. And so today I have another awesome guest who I am so, so excited to have this conversation with, Latrice Huff. And so a little bit more about Latrice. Latrice is a career coach to ambitious women of color. She specializes in personal branding and helps her clients earn more money by using their gifts. Her proven approach to personal branding has helped her clients boost their confidence, fulfillment, and of course, their bank account. Her clients have increased their salary by 20 to 50,000, but the real success is in their increase in their self-worth. Latrice has over 10 years experience in human resources and is known for providing fun, practical, real-world advice. With that, welcome to the show, Latrice. Thank you. I love that intro. <laughs> that was so nice. Thank you. I love it, too. It's it's nice, short, to the point, fun. Um, so, I mean, I know you didn't start here, right? So I would love yeah. for you to share with us briefly your career journey and what led you away from HR and corporate to owning your own business and and really dual, right? Because you do career Mm -hmm. coaching and you do HR consulting. So tell us a little bit about that Mm -hmm. that journey and that pathway for you. Interesting enough, I was not someone who started off in HR, knew what HR was, none of that. I started off in accounting. I hated that. And so, but I did it while I was in school because I was good at it. So I kind of worked my way through school. I was a non-traditional student. I got my degree in business administration and with a concentration in marketing. A lot of people don't know that. I'm like, my degrees, so that's why personal branding fits. I was like, my degree is actually in marketing. So I um, got hired by this company as their marketing coordinator. And I Can I say this? I hated my boss. She was terrible. I had a terrible boss. That's how I transitioned into HR. Um, I didn't really know what it was. I was doing a little bit of things. Like since I was already going to different events, they'd say, hey, can you go to this career fair? And I'd be like, oh, sure. Um, I was already like this back in the day with paper ads. in magazines and stuff. So I was already doing that. And they'd be like, hey, can you run this ad for employment? So I would do that. Um, And then I wound up being on like the HR committee and planning events because I was like really friendly and outgoing. And they were like, if you're the marketing and events coordinator, you have to plan the holiday party. 
wait a minute. Side note, when I became an HR, they told me the exact same thing. You're an HR, so you got to plan a holiday party. I said, wait a minute. <laughs> wait. Um, but I transitioned into HR because my boss was terrible, because I had a terrible boss. And I had to get from out from under her. And so a position came became available. And it was a promotion, too, um, for an HR recruiter. And I applied and I got the job and that began. And then I, I honestly, I fell in love with HR. I was like, oh my God, I love this. This is it. I was like, and, and I, I really liked, um, I could use my business degree. And, and it was, I found that that was like a gap of like business and marketing and HR. Like I could read financials and I could talk accounting and business and all that stuff and marketing. And I spoke HR. Um, so yeah, that's how I started and, and worked my way up, got into HR, um, wound up being either promoted or got raises every year, year to year and a half, um, worked my way up to running my own recruiting department and having a staff. Um, yeah, so I loved it. Yeah. And now, and now, <laughs> now I do HR consulting and training. And then I also, um, my, my main business is coaching. Nice. So what was the catalyst for you that once you got to a certain level in HR where you were just like, okay, I'm ready to start my own business. Oh, oh, this is so interesting. So get like people like, okay, yeah, your audience isn't. No, um, I did not have a, a real catalyst. My catalyst was I met this guy. We dated for several years. He was in the military. I thought he was going to be stationed there where I lived. Once we got married on the honeymoon, he told me, he was going to California. Since we were married, I guess I had to go. Uh, so I had all I had always wanted my own business, and I had already had and I had a I had like a marketing. I had little businesses here and there. I sold things on the internet on like eBay and stuff. So I had little businesses and side hustles. But when I quit my job, I quit my job because I married my husband who was in the military and his order and he got orders to California and I worked in Maryland. Um, that was why I quit my job. I had every intention of like being an HR director and moving up and BP and doing all this stuff. And so when I got out there, it wasn't California, California. It was the Mojave Desert. <laughs> If you don't know where it is, the closest town is Barstow, which was still like an hour and a half away, <laughs> just to paint a picture. So that really limited on me. And a lot of the a lot of the spouses who worked started working in Los Angeles, which was several hours away and had their own apartment. And I was going to do it. I was like, you know, I was looking at places in L.A. I was like, this could be great. I was like, yeah. Us being newlyweds, maybe the best thing wouldn't be <laughs> if you moved. Like, and, um, so yeah, it was really that remote jobs weren't that much of a thing, or it would be very entry level. So I was like, hmm, I don't know. I'll volunteer. I was helping out military spouses. If you really, if y'all really want some dirt, this this was. If you really want the catalyst to me starting my own business. Again, usually when people are very rude and disrespectful to me, where I'm like, I'll need this. I was like, oh, I'll volunteer and would like to teach a class. And so um, I reached out to 
one of the people in charge. And he's like, hey, come and visit this contractor and see how he teaches this class on LinkedIn. And I'm like, okay. And he taught the class terribly. He was literally working from a book, this thick that might've been printed five years ago. And if you know anything about social media, LinkedIn, it moves really quickly. So I was like, oh, wow, this is interesting. So the guy teaching the class comes over to me and he's just like, oh, are you transitioning out? And I was like, no, he said, are your spouse transitioning out or something? And I was like, no, he was like, oh, um, he said something like, oh, you're a dependent. And I was like, what? And he walked away. So if you all know anything about in the military, you kind of like you have the active duty person. That's what I'm sorry. That's what he asked me. He said, was I active transitioning out? And I was like, no. Um, my husband's active duty. And he was like, oh, so you're a dependent and walked away. Like I had no, like I'm sitting here like I could teach this class. I know more than you. And I wouldn't need this outdated book. Like anytime someone asked him a question, he was like, let me see what the book says. (laughs) It's an outdated book. So I was like, huh, that's weird. Okay. So then leaving out, the guy who told me to come met me. He was like, hey, I saw your resume. I want to like interview you for this job. Like you'd be great. And the first thing he asked me, he said, do you have small kids? And I was like, what? (laughs) At the time I didn't, I have a son now and my daughters were older. So I was like, what? I think I looked confused. And then he's like, well, come on, interviewed me on the spot. And then when we got to salary, he told me it would be $30,000. And um, I kindly told him my $30,000 making days were over. Like, <laughs> and that that's not where I'm at in my career. And he says, well, how much are you making now? Zip, zero, nada. And like did the circle move. And I was like, I can make more than 30 grand on my own. And that was like, if you want the truth, that was the true catalyst to start my business. And I didn't know what type of business, but I was like, I can make $30,000. I don't need to work for you and work my way up again and make $30,000 with taxes coming out with clearly another crazy boss. <laughs> like, I don't need that. And yeah, in California. And this was years ago. This ain't that. This was the, I was like, come on, come on. So, and I did, and I make more than $30,000 in my own business. We as women, we don't need to tolerate that. We don't need that. Yeah. And so I got a chance to listen to some of your your podcasts and, and we'll talk about your show as well. And I know that you, by happenstance almost, decided to negotiate your first salary coming out of college, which, as you mentioned, is something that you, one, didn't know it was, it was possible until you heard and so you mm-hmm. tried it. And so I really want to talk about salary negotiations and we can talk about the details around like what it is that you can negotiate but really there's there's a mindset that goes into salary negotiations mm-hmm. like the, the pay gap being what it is 80 for 80 cents on the dollar to to our white male counterparts and then once you start to dig into the demographics it's even less and less than that um so and i love the fact that you also tie in personal branding. So leveraging your marketing expertise and your HR knowledge to support women. So talk to us a little bit more. I probably gave it away, but talk to us a little bit more about the the career coaching that you do today, who you work with, how you help them, how you serve them. 
So yeah, today I solely career coach with women of color. I did not start off like that. And my husband actually thought it was a terrible idea. <laughs> and again, he was wrong. Like so, sometimes men are wrong, you ladies. Um, but I started off um, just kind of coaching everyone. Started military spouses, people transitioned to military because that's what I was around. Um, and then like people on LinkedIn and friends and family and people just kind of started and getting referrals and um, networking and things like that. So I reached out and paid for a coaching session from a guy. It was actually a white guy too. And he was amazing. And he pretty much was like, what do you, what do you feel called to do? And I was like, I've been struggling with this for a while. And I was like, I I only want to work with women of color. Like I was like, I I only want to do that. I was like, I see a need. And what we need is different than what they teach. I'm sorry, y'all, on Google and LinkedIn, that stuff doesn't work for us. And you wonder why you you like, I'm trying to do this advice and it doesn't work. It, it doesn't work for us. It's not customized and tailored and made for us. And when I realized um, that we needed something different, we needed someone who understood the way we thought, like somebody that they could say, like, my boss said this to me. This was racist. I feel this way. It's a reason we don't speak up in meetings, even when they're like, speak up. It's a reason we don't feel safe. And nobody was addressing that. And so I just said, like, yeah, I only want to work with women of color. And he was like, great, put that everywhere. And I didn't. It took me months to implement. And he was like, put it on LinkedIn. I did. And when I tell y'all, it took probably about four or five months after that call for me to really start putting it places. Now is that now you can't now it's everywhere. Right now that's what I'm known for. Um, but it wasn't an easy, it was no, it was easy decision. It wasn't easy to implement. So now, yes, I solely work with ambitious women of color. I help them get salary increases of twenty to fifty thousand dollars and six figure promotions, which is a bold thing to do um, because a lot of times we don't even think it's possible. Yeah. So yeah, I'm like, I'm like, nope, it's possible. I got the testimonials, I got the recommendations. I'm going to show you how. And. I would say 60% of what I do is mindset. The other 40% is tailoring the strategy to us. Love it. Love it. So uh, just taking a step back here. So one of the things that um, that drew me to you, and this was maybe like a couple months months now, I saw one of your posts on LinkedIn because we've been connected for some time. Mm-hmm. And it was it was you sharing about one of your clients, or I, I, would, I don't even think it was a client. It was some random person who reached out to you um, and you immediately jumped into your gift and your zone of genius and supported oh. this person in, um, in, in her ask, in her mm-hmm. approach to mm-hmm. the salary negotiations. And it, it was the level of passion that you oh. had behind supporting women and women of mm-hmm. color in particular in, in helping to advocate for themselves and asking for what it is that they need. And you and I have similar paths, right? Coming through corporate America. I don't know about you, but I'm first generation. And so there are a lot of things that I didn't know about the unwritten rules of being able to navigate corporate America. And so I've shared this, I think I've shared this on this podcast before. I remember my first quote unquote negotiation attempt, which was me looking on like a uh, monster or glass or <laughs> salary.com. Like I, I didn't even, I don't know that I went to the maps of the, the, the paid grade there. Right. But I remember I was, 
I was offered a promotion, right? So it wasn't something that I had had a conversation with them with. They were doing a reorg maybe three months after I joined the department. And this is an HR at that. And what they offered me was maybe like $3,000 more than what I had just come in to do, but it was a lot more responsibility. And so I was just like, Mm -hmm. okay, I'm going to negotiate. And so here I go, I do my little research, right? And I get into work early one morning and I knock on my manager's door and I was like, hey, you got a minute? First of all, don't do that. Don't be like (laughs) So I like, like sure, come in. So he's probably thinking like, um, I just want to like shoot the breeze. And I'm like, oh, so about the salary, like I went on salary.com and it says that I should be making X, right? So right. I want to be here. And he gave me this look of disdain where in retrospect, <laughs> I understand where he was coming from, but he was just like, um, yeah, I'm not having this conversation with you right now. And I remember walking away like, well, dang, what you mean you're not having this conversation with me? Like, I, I deserve this. And I remember being in such a tizzy about it. And he explained to me afterwards, he was like, Sabine, when it comes to salary negotiations, first of all, you, you don't knock on the door. Hey, you got a minute, right? Yeah, you yeah. conversation. Yep. I didn't have anything where I could articulate the, this is what I brought to the table. This is what I've mm-hmm. done. This is why I, I just had a number from salary.com that I wanted him to meet. And so it was, it was needless to say, not a successful negotiation attempt. Mm-hmm. And that experience, it, it scarred me a little because mm-hmm. of like, it made me scared, I guess, to ever ask mm-hmm. again, just because of the negative reaction from him. And not only that, like his manager was told about it, like other people knew. And it was just like, it was this embarrassing thing. So I found myself shrinking after that. Fast forward a couple years later, Sabine went through, she had an exe- executive summary. She had a whole <laughs> analysis. Like she, she was ready, but it took yes. maybe two to three years in between yeah. that first attempt to when I matured a bit to even think that I could ask for additional money and how I was going to articulate that. So I I wanted to share that story because I know oftentimes what hinders us from asking is perhaps fear or a previous bad experience, or maybe we we saw the retaliation or the backlash someone else. Mm. So it creates this um, this myth around, oh, you shouldn't ask. You're not supposed to ask. You should just be grateful for what's been presented to you. That's it. You should just be grateful. I remember that first job out of college that I did negotiate. I, first of all, I didn't know you could, but it wasn't what I wanted to make. And I was like, oh, I always said it wasn't a recession. It was 2008. Y'all think I got, no, the recession of 2008 was bad. Okay. That was a bad one right there. Um, Because the job market was terrible with it. And so I was like, I was getting interviews and then it would get like, jobs were getting rescinded. They were no longer being available. All these different things were happening. I didn't know, like, I was like, no. I was, again, non-traditional in that I had already had two kids and I was already working full time. So if they couldn't come at a certain salary, I was just going to stay where I was at. You know what I'm saying? So, um, yeah, my first job, I actually had multiple offers. 
but the one that I took was very close to my house. It would allow me to like have flexibility and take my kids to school, like different things. But I still wanted to negotiate. And my sister was like, you could just ask for a higher salary. And I was like, I what? Like, I, I don't even think we said, I don't even think she used the word negotiation. She was just like, you could just ask or tell them this is what you were thinking. And this is why. And so she did tell me like, this is why. So when they made the verbal offer, I was like, hey, this is great. Yes, I accept. I was thinking this, like I was thinking this other number. And y'all, they didn't say no. They didn't say yes either. So they came back and were like, hey, um, we'll put a contingency in the offer that after you're successful, it was either three months or six months, you'll get the bump. And it was even more than I was asking for. Actually, I think it might've been 90 days or something, but it was more than my original ask. So I was like, oh, I was like, fine. But I didn't, like, it never dawned on me that the answer could be, how about later? How about after you prove yourself? Like, I didn't even know that was a thing. I was like, yes or no? Or like, are you crazy chick? And and I wasn't confident. I was like, hey, I was kind of thinking maybe, but they knew I was working and it was still significantly more than I was making. You know what I'm saying? But I was like, hey, um, because I have my degree and I have experience, um, what I was thinking was, <laughs> like, it was very much on that level, <laughs> yeah. but I got it. But I got it. And I stayed with that company almost 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I and, got it. And even being a in HR, especially on the recruiting side, right? Because I, I did a little over 10 years in recruiting as well. We know that there's always room to negotiate, right? Like we know mm-hmm. that the offer mm-hmm. that goes out is never the the best and final offer. And I'm sure you experienced this too, where you could see, I, I, I think they, I forget what the statistics is around how many women actually ask versus women who don't, or men who ask. And I quickly learned that for the most part, men will always ask. Like there is, there is not mm-hmm. a moment or a part of their body that says, maybe I shouldn't. Um, but then when you're in that space and you put out that offer for a woman and she's just like, okay, it's it's almost like a conflict of interest for you to just be like, well, if you ask for five more thousand, like they'll give it to you. And it was in those experiences. I could tell y'all some stories. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. It was in those experiences that I started to realize that, okay, now I understand why the pay gap exists. Um, mm-hmm. But also how do we empower more women to know or to understand or to come to the table with their ask. And so I think in one of your episodes, you were talking about if you're waiting until you get the offer to start the negotiations, then you're behind the ball. So talk to us because it is it is a skill and it is there's a strategy behind it, right? Like you don't wait until you get the offer for 50,000 to be like, I really wanted 60. In in the entire conversation, you should be seeding that, right? Because it is a conversation. Yes identifying what makes sense. Yes. So talk to us a little bit about how you, how you coach or how you walk your clients through just the mindset of like, this is how you determine what you want. And mm-hmm. this is how you start to, to build it into the conversations. 
Let, I tell them from jump, the moment someone gets on a sales call with me, we talk about ideal salary and how you're going to get it. That moment. And I don't allow them to give me a crazy range or say six figures. They have to tell me a specific number just to get used to it coming out of their mouths. I tell them the first time you say your salary range or a number should not be with the recruiter. It should flow out your mouth like it's nothing, like you, like it's water, like honey child. Yes, let me tell you, give me this 150. Like, like it should flow. Like, absolutely, of course I deserve this. So that's part of my strategy is immediately we're thinking about that, what, what your salary is. We're getting clear on it. And then what I find is you have to believe that you deserve it. So one of the first things as far as strategy is I have my clients come up with 25 reasons why they deserve that salary so that you now believe it. You don't have to show it to a soul, but you have to be like, and most of the time they be like, I need more than this. 90% of the time when my clients go through with me, they always get more. whatever they told me on that original call, they wind up increasing it and they wind up getting more. I had a client, she only wanted a $25,000 increase. She got a $50,000 increase plus a $10,000 bonus, plus like negotiated their certifications, right? But we go through, what do you want? We talk about like career life integration. So not just salary. What about hours? Do you want remote? Do you want hybrid? Do you want flexible? Um, Everything that you want, once you know that and you know that you deserve it and you believe it, then... From when you're applying to jobs, don't apply to something that's significantly below what you want. That doesn't make sense. And it's going to make it harder on the back end. But if it's in, let me tell you, $20,000, $30,000 range, you can negotiate that. That's negotiable. But one of the things I tell them, as soon as that recruiter reaches out to you, you talking salary. If they don't bring it up, you do. Where we were originally taught, don't bring up salary to the very end. No, 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 no. That's crazy. I already know my value. I don't need to play any games. I don't need to play any games. We're not going to do that. That may be somebody else's way, but I find for women of color, it's a much harder route versus if from the very beginning, when that recruiter reaches out to you and like, hey, I have this job I think you may be great for, or the very moment you're applying, Salary range is already determined. That first phone call, if they don't bring it up, you tell them, hey, what's the budgeted position? I mean, what's the budgeted amount for this position? If they ask you first, I always suggest my clients get it out of them, ask them what the budget amount is first, and then tell their range. Because if it's out of your range, they can know right then and there. But I've had clients who use this technique and the recruiter will go back and say, okay, this is this is within our range. Even if what you say is higher than what they said, because like we said, it's always some wiggle room. Another thing I teach is throughout the interview process, you should be confirming that salary with just about everybody you speak to. So that hiring manager is not going to be like, I didn't know the recruiter promised you that. I'll share this really quickly. When I was in HR, I just remember, oh, keynote, get everything in writing. I remember this girl came to me a year after she started working for the company saying, asking me about her salary. And I was like, what do you mean? (laughs) It is what it is. Like, I'm like, you have this, she can look in the system and see you have the same information I have. And she was like, Hey, yeah. When I was interviewing, um, I was told that after, I don't know, six months or whatever, I would get this increase. And I said, well, that wasn't in your offer letter. Like I wrote her offer letter. 
And she was like, yeah, she just told me it wasn't in there. And I was like, man, this is a year. You've been here for a year. Like, <laughs> it was nothing I could do. I was like, at that point, you're going to have to go in. She's going to have to put something through, which she never did. But it is very important to get whatever you agreed on in writing in that letter. But you want to be sowing those seeds in you first, immediately practice it out loud. I used to practice in the car, practice in the mirror. So you're not, um, I would like one fifth. Okay. Well, most of the time we'll be like, whatever there's, they say, we say, oh, that's fine. That's within my range. Even when it's not. Cause we're like, I've had people say, I don't want them to not interview me, but we do though. <laughs> that's the point. We want to interview with companies that want us, that value us. And if you're positioning yourself and branding yourself as, as having your expertise, as having this gift, they'll be like, okay, usually it's a non-starter. Don't get me started. Usually because we're underselling ourselves anyway. Something you said, and I haven't been in this space in a while, but there used to be that saying that whoever brings up the money first loses, right? Mm. And I, now, now that we're talking, I'm like, I wonder if that was like a ploy to get people, to get women not to ask for it. Um, but the strategy around it was wait for them, whoever it mm-hmm. is, the hiring manager, the recruiter, whoever, wait for them to tell you what the salary is first before mm-hmm. you share. But you're saying, flip that, where you're saying, no, actually, you be the first person to bring it up. You may not be, you may not necessarily have to be the one to bring out the number that you want. Right. You initiate the conversation around salary first before the recruiter or the hiring manager. Yes. Let me tell you, especially if they're reaching out to you, like a lot of my clients get um, resell to you on LinkedIn. I tell them, have a standard line with three bullets. Thank you so much for reaching out to me. I'm looking for a director level position, um, hybrid or remote within the um, 125 to 150 range. If this is what the position entails, I would love to speak to you about it. Up front. Yeah, yeah. Up front. Well, because I've had people argue with me and they'll be like, I, I just want to practice. Why are we practicing what we don't want? Why, why would you, if you want a six-figure job, why am I practice making a job for 60000 This This don't make sense. The questions is different. The expectations are different. No, I want people who want me. The best way to show me that you value me and value this position is you're going to sell me is, is the money. Like, <laughs> it's the money and maybe some other perks and flexibility. But when I hear that, I know that's just a way that we keep ourselves safe. However, in keeping ourselves safe, we're also keeping ourselves small and we're playing small. So that's why I'm like, look, we have to try something different. Chad may be able to wait to the end. And, and honestly, they say that, but they don't. I have been on the other end as a recruiter where immediately men are bringing up salary. And, they, and the salary range could be on here. They could be like, oh, I saw the posting and it said this, but I really want this. That was part of the reason I came up with this technique. I was like, they don't do that. But that's what they're saying we should do. They're not doing that. Yeah, They're not waiting until the offer is written, signed, and delivered, and then saying, oh, my bad, I really want this. They're not doing that. Something else that you said, and I see it being applicable for both women in corporate as well as women in entrepreneurship, since uh, this podcast serves both, right? Mm -hmm. The 
25 reasons why you deserve more. Because while we're talking about salary negotiations as it relates to a corporate environment, we also know that we as women in business undersell Mm -hmm. ourselves in many ways too. So even that exercise of, okay, I'm going to launch this program or I'm going to do my one-on-one coaching or my consulting or whatever, right? Getting to that place where mentally you believe that you are worth whatever it is that you're going to ask so that when you hear those objections from potential clients or when people are like, oh, that's a lot more than I was willing to spend. Mm -hmm. You don't bat an eye and you don't internalize that as that being something wrong with you. No, that's your budget and that's none of my business. Um, But this is is the value that I bring in exchange for whatever you're going to, to pay me for it. Um, so I, I love I love that little key and that exercise. So for those of you who are, who are listening, regardless of what side of the house that you sit, you can use and leverage that exercise um, as you're as you're building and growing and, and looking to um, increase your revenue or increase your income. Sure, I do it myself. I do that. That's how I came up with this. I do this. I had to do the same thing when I looked at what I was charging, and everybody was like, "Charge more, charge more." And I was like, "No, because my people can't do that." And somebody was like, "You're keeping them small." Mm. I was like, "Well, excuse me." And they were like, "Look at how you're thinking about them." And I was like, "My word!" But it was it was me projecting, right? And then when I had to be like 25 reasons why I was negating all the experience I had, I was like, oh, I'm just starting out all this, all that, but it wasn't true. I have years of expertise and experience. And here's the thing, the same technique that I talk about, I use. So in all of my emails, I have my prices. When people book a sales call with me, they know exactly how much my prices are. Like I'm very transparent with that too. If something's going up, I'm like, hey, I go up in January and people know that. Like, <laughs> like you see this? This is, for, this is for December. In January, this number will go up. I'm transparent about that as well. But I'm also very confident in my results. But I did that. And every time I do an increase, I do the 25 reasons why. So I am comfortable. So I am bought into it. So when the or an investment flies out of my mouth, I'm extremely confident in that with my clients. Yeah, I love that. Um, Shifting gears just a little bit, as we were talking about salary negotiations and we're talking about negotiations and we're talking about it in the context of the money, but you and I both know everything is negotiable. And as I was listening to one of your podcasts, you mentioned um, you can negotiate against policies. And that was one that took me, because usually I'm like, sick time, vacation time, all of these things, all of these basic things. But tell me about negotiating against policies. What does that look like? Oh, let me tell you that that's where we get a little spicy because I have seen on LinkedIn people like, I don't know what you've heard, but everything is not negotiable. Yes, it is. They just haven't seen it. Even if that's a recruiter, they just haven't seen it. I can tell you everything's negotiable because I have seen it. So therefore, once I've seen it, I know it's negotiable. I know it is. You can't, you can't tell me. I've had people negotiate cars, daycare, um, um, benefits for their kids. Like you name it, I have seen it negotiated. So when people tell you that, and I want to say this disclaimer, it's their limitations. So I did an, I did another um, interview with one of my very close colleagues 
And she said that she was like, oh, well, you can negotiate everything except policy. You can't negotiate against policy. I said, oh, yes, you can. Some people negotiate against policy. I teach my cousin. First of all, it don't even matter what their policy is. You can forget. Like, I, I, I was like, well, yes, you can. I've seen it. And here's the thing. Until I was sitting in HR, because let me tell you, sometimes as a recruiter, you may not even know what they negotiated on the back end. So you're, we, we see a certain frame. Once I got a little higher up and I saw everything, I was like, oh, they, we can negotiate PTO accrual? That means we got to go with payroll and do something special, right? Like we can negotiate things like that. Y'all, I didn't know it until I saw it. Now it's nothing for my clients. They negotiated. I just had a client start. She negotiated her vacation time because she was with her current company for 13 years. So she had a lot of vacation time and she didn't want to lose it. She coming in with more vacation time than people who's already been there. They don't know that. So yes, you can negotiate against, first of all, it's a strong suggestion. As long as it's not a law, you can't negotiate, you know what I'm saying? It's not a law, but um, company policies, I've seen people negotiate and, and how they work it out on the back end. That's not my problem because I'm not in payroll. How they work it out in, pay, in, in payroll, I don't know. But as long as you get it in writing, you can negotiate against policy. I've seen people negotiate a hybrid schedule for companies that don't have any hybrid employees. <laughs> like everybody got to come in. I've seen people negotiate against um, how much benefits a company will pay for them. I've seen people, again, that PTO accrual, that's one of the things that I think we are like, no, that's a hard and fast rule. I'm like, I've seen it. So at this point, it's the norm for my clients because I tell them so much and we go through what they want in the beginning. Um, so it's it's very common for my clients. For people who don't know, like the um, paid time off or vacation time or things like that. That's one of the first things they negotiate uh, is money, the PTO or like vacation time and usually some sort of scheduling. Yeah, I would imagine for somebody to even be able to do that because I, I think back to negotiation conversations where we had some some booklet right like the the annual benefits breakdown mm-hmm. so that people could see it they could decide what's going to work for me what's not going to work for me and in many many cases organizations aren't willing to give their handbook where it details mm-hmm. some of that stuff so mm-hmm. what is the best way for somebody who is listening who is thinking through like wait a minute like I want to negotiate whether it's maternity leave or something like that mm-hmm. but they may coming in the door they don't have that information or they don't have those details to know how how do they get that information so that they go in or is it just more of you do the work of figuring out what you want and then just make the ask and then let them uh, them as in the organization be the ones to to tell you what's possible or what's not possible. When you want to negotiate like against policy or you don't know what the policy is, but you're like, you know what, I may I, I may be planning on getting pregnant. Um, IVF leave is is a new thing. I'm seeing people negotiate and things like that. Because I start with I call it career life integration model. What do you want? Start with that. Like, what do you want? What's in your life? What do you want? And then what's a requirement? Some people now, like, it's a requirement. I pick my child up from school. It's a requirement. I meet my child at the bus stop. You know what I'm saying? Things that we would have never thought before was a requirement. 
we can make requirements for our life. So you're going to start there. And I recommend having it written down and tied to why it's important to you. Because if something is important to you, you're going to fight for it. So you need to have it written down and like why this is valuable, why this is um, important to me. And usually the PTO, the PAL is important because we want to travel. We don't want to get burnt out. We know we're going to be working these higher level jobs, right? So we want that balance that people keep talking about, which ain't really real. That's why I say integration, right? <laughs> we, we want that career life integration. We want to make this money. We hard workers, but we still want to play and go on vacations. So start knowing what you want. Do listen to them. And as you get closer in the interview process, and a lot of times they'll tell you like, oh, you're one, this is the final round. You're in, you're one of the finalists or something like that. You can start to ask for it. I would, because what you can start to ask for their policy, their benefits, because you'd be shocked how many good companies have a lot of stuff already built in, like paid maternity leave. Um, like separate from your FMLA, like sometimes they have extra days or something for IVF. Like you would be shocked what they already have. So look and see what they already have and then how that compares with what you want. Because let's say you want three weeks vacation, but you come in working two. Okay, then you only need to negotiate one week. That's not bad. You know what I'm saying? Like one week's vacation isn't bad and you can do that. So I do recommend when you know you're a finalist, right? Um, is the time to be like, when that recruiter's like, hey, we're going to be making a decision soon, you're a finalist. I would say, hey, if you wouldn't mind, could you just send me like your handbook or your benefits ahead of time, just so you can see and look through. And and that right there, they already know she's about to come. Like <laughs> they already know like, hey, I want to look through this. I want to make sure I have some things in mind. Here's the thing. The more outside of the policy you go, the higher the approval will be required. So just know that sometimes it takes a little finagling in the back. But if you've done everything right, you're up until there. They're not going to let a week's vacation like lose a great candidate. Absolutely. Where we think like, oh, I'm going to, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> They're not going to like, oh, she um, wants a little bit extra for um, benefits. They're not going to be like, mm, we absolutely can't do that because for you, it could be like, I'm not going to go somewhere and pay more money for benefits where for them, they're like, well, if I can get this great candidate and she wants, I don't know. Okay. It'll be 5,000 more. I've seen companies give stipends, give bonuses, like they will do what they need to do to make you whole. Yeah. So you, so I also say, know what you want and what you need, and then be open to how they'll receive it. Because sometimes companies will come back and say, I can't give it to you like this, but I can give it to you another way to make you whole. Yep. So be flexible. But yeah, you can definitely ask for that handbook, um, their policies, read through, compare it to what you want. And you only need to negotiate on the gap. And sometimes like, make, like allowing them to see that because the first reaction will be, oh, we don't do that. The recruiter will be like, I don't know. I don't know if we do that. But then you'll be like, oh, well, really, it's just a week more. Really, it's just a few days more. Throughout the year, you wouldn't even see it. That's maybe an hour more accrual over 2,080 hours. Really not much. You sell, you may have to break it down for them. So they say, mm, it's not really much. It's not worth losing a great candidate and they don't went through all this trouble. It's not worth and especially with the, the recruiting process taking so long now, like three months in, like if it comes down to a week vacation, more than likely the right. vacation is just going to be like, 
cool. We got you. We got you. So we're talking about negotiations from the standpoint of the outsider or a candidate coming into the organization. We also know that it is possible to negotiate even when you get into an organization. I think that that's another Mm -hmm. little known thing or even negotiating um, your next promotion without having to wait Mm -hmm. for someone to say, hey, we went through the talent review process or the performance review process, and now we want to give you a promotion. So for the people who are in organizations right now, and they're like, I'm not trying to leave to go anywhere. I like where I'm at. What are your thoughts on how they can best approach asking for a promotion or asking for a raise in their current organization? Uh, To negotiate a promotion or a raise inside your current organization sometimes can be a little harder because they will, what I do, you'll find that I call it a promotion promise. And I talk a lot about this where, oh, we're going to promote you. Oh, we're going to promote you. Oh, we're going to promote you. Oh, fiscal year in. Oh, when maritime comes around. Oh, when January. Oh, when they be making up stuff in the full moon, half half crescent moon time, right? (laughs) Oh, we're going to get it, right? So I do recommend same steps, knowing your 25 reasons why, having it detailed, because a lot of times, especially as women of color, the moment we do something, we forget it. Or we like, that's just my job, though, Latrice. That's just my job. Anybody else on their job? Like, you're going above and beyond. So really starting with that list, knowing what you want, being open to how they can make you whole. But I wouldn't wait. So there are some ideal times to ask for a promotion or negotiate a promotion. And it is not when your company says it is not fiscal year in. It is not maritime. By that time, it's a little too late. I like when somebody leaves. Let me tell you, when my um, colleague put in her notice, I said, girls, let me know. As soon as you put in your notice about the expert is raised. Right? <laughs> so if a colleague is leaving, um, anytime it's like a big project, they're getting some income or influx of revenue in. If it's some shakeups and you're still there, then you have more leverage. And a lot of times we see that as, oh, like we're nervous, but it actually gives you more leverage because they need those people there. But I do recommend um, not waiting until it's merit time and your and your review is already written up and they've already got a number in mind and they're telling you. I'm not going to say it's too late, but we could have been negotiating earlier. So when they give you that form, it's already got the number you want. So I recommend a couple months before that planting the seed. Then we're scheduling conversations ahead of that time. So when you come in for your review meeting, your supervisor, your boss already knows we're about to talk about this promotion. We're about to talk about this raise. And it shouldn't be the first time. So you know how you said you just walked in? I would be like, hey, can we get some time on the calendar? I'd like to talk about um, my salary or compensation or things like that. So that your boss knows what you want to talk about too. You should be prepared have some version of your 20 of your 25 list pick out five things know the salary that you want why you deserve it how you've went above and beyond and this is a tip have it written down and give them something because a lot of times boss I don't make the decisions well, well here you go take this to the decision maker 
<laughs> take this. That was something I learned the hard way. Give them something to take back. Just in case if people are like my boss won't advocate for me, they won't stand up for me. Advocate. Here you go. Give them give them this letter notice, whatever it is. And then that gives you some time to actually negotiate and actually see what they can do versus waiting um, until that merit time or until where they're like, I don't promise you this, I don't promise you that. We don't already talked about it. You know where I stand, you know where I want. And a lot of times, especially now, companies are more focused on retention than ever. This is the time <laughs> companies are extremely focused attention. I know we're hearing about all these other things going on, but there is still a war on talent. People are still leaving companies and resigning and starting businesses and doing things. So companies are really focusing on retaining their top talent and developing them. And if you want $10,000 more or $20,000 more, that is worth it considering what they would have to get to replace you. So just, just, just know that. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. What is it the for every employee that leaves, especially within the first year, it's like one and a half times that mm-hmm. person's salary. Like, and that's just the salary. That's not the institutional mm-hmm. knowledge that's going out the door. That's not the pro- productivity. That's not the morale. So those mm-hmm. things are quantifiable as well. Um, that we again were we may not be as privy to. Um, so thank you so much. This has been so helpful, and I'm. I'm listening from it from the perspective of the employee. And I'm also like, oh my gosh, so much of this is applicable to um, entrepreneurship. And it really just comes Mm -hmm. down to us being grounded in the value that we bring to the table. Um, Women, women of color in particular, right? Like the the mindset of, hey, I just got to work. And we were talking about this earlier, right? Like, oh, my work would speak for myself itself right and we know we know firsthand that that mindset first of all is not a winning mindset and that mindset does not lead to the results that we want um i have several books back there women don't ask um alex carter's alexander carter's ask for more and there's Mm -hmm. just so much around our fear of just simply asking um that keeps us back in so many different ways um so i love your approach of before you even open your mouth to ask, let's let's do a inventory, right? Yeah. What is it that you want? And then also, what are you bringing to the table so that you are so grounded in who you are and the value that you bring yeah. that you asking? And even if you hear no, it doesn't it doesn't impact your confidence at the level mm-hmm. that it might if you were just going in there like I did at, at 23, like, hey, you got a minute? Um, <laughs> so I, I love there, there's a level of empowerment mm-hmm. um, that comes along with it. And the money is just the, the the symptom, if you will, or the outcome of it. But what they gain through that process and, and going through that with you, I think that that's, that's valuable. I will say this, and this is for business owners too. I it's I tell I tell my clients to do this when they're like, well, what about this? And what if they say no? And, da, 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 and call. I was like, I will say slow down and answer your brain. Okay. Because that's what the fear is. We're just going, going, going. And, and then we go to worst case scenario. What if they fire me? They're going to fire you because you're a great employee and extra more money. I don't think so. Um, and if, if that does happen, there was a miscalculation on your part. <laughs> <laughs> miscalculated right so I always have like 
What if we slow down and answer every question in our brain that gives us a little more confidence about what if I go in there and they say no? Okay, well, if they say no, I'm going to do this. If they say yes, okay, I'm going to take them up. Because we'll be like, if they say yeah, then I got to work extra hard. But they're paying you back pay for what you've already done. <laughs> Um, but sometimes we've got to like slow down and, or even say, what is the likelihood that that would happen? Is it more likely that they would say, absolutely, no, this is terrible. Or that they'd be like, hey, not right now. Thank you for bringing this to my attention during the next budget meeting. We're going to discuss it. Like really be like, what, what, answer your brain. And then what's the likelihood that these crazy scenarios are going to happen? And then if they do, what does that tell you about the company and your position? It's rarely, if you're in a company, you know who you're dealing with. I will also say this. I've had people who say, Latrice, my company doesn't give promotions. They would never do it. And they use these techniques in conjunction with building their brand. So in conjunction with building your brand and they get a promotion internally and they get that money. Yeah. Sometimes it it really just boils down to um, not knowing any better. Like if we don't see it happening, if we don't know that it's possible, right, it's easy to just go in the, oh, well, they don't do that. I mean, I've had, yeah. I had someone on the podcast uh, not too long ago and there was a there was an opportunity for a promotion to the CEO and she had already talked herself out of it because she was just like, historically, the organization has not hired from inside. Well, guess what? The organization had a change of heart and it created uh-huh. this doorway for her to be able to walk in. So sometimes maybe historically something had not yeah. happened, but let's not close the door on ourselves mm-hmm. before even just checking. Can we crack it? Can we can, can we crack it just a little, just a little? Oh, my gosh. I could talk to you for hours, for hours, for hours. Thank you so much for all of this. Um, it's been super, super helpful. And for those of you who are listening, hopefully you have been taking notes and writing down your top 25 and what you bring mm-hmm. to the table and, and how you're going to position yourself. I want to run into our blitz session real quick. So our rapid fire, I have three questions for you. Um, so knowing what you know now, given the career path that you've gone down and, and the way that you're supporting both organizations and individuals now in their career advancement, if you could go back to a younger version of Latrice and give her some advice, what might that be? Mm. I used to stress over like quitting or getting fired from jobs that didn't like, like when I was a waitress, I was like, oh my God, that was a bad wage. And, and thinking that it would impact me for the rest of my entire life about this waitressing job like I think I would have been like girl don't stress first of all people can only remember the last few months anyway (laughs) I probably would have been like you know what like I'm like the only things that matter are what you make matter and I probably would have been like it's okay like like a lot of the things I stressed over that I thought would like haunt me for the rest of my career like didn't really happen yeah (laughs) And so as we look forward in terms of the legacy that you're building and the impact that you want to make, share with us a little bit about like 40, 50, 60 years from now, and you're looking back, what do you want that narrative to be about the impact that you've made? I think about that a lot. Um, 
I've been thinking about the domino effect of what I'm doing and how I had a client tell me she she got the $50,000 a $50, increase. And she said, this is the most money anyone in her family has ever made, ever. And she's a first-gen American. And she told me that. And I was like, wow, the domino effect of nailing this higher standard. She bought a house, like this, this new standard. Um, I I think about that, how like one of my clients are telling me they're advocating for other women in the workplace. They're not just making sure that they get the money they deserve, but that the next person is getting the money that they deserve too. Like I really am like 50 years from now, I want like not a statue, maybe a plaque. Like she helped a million women like make more money and and really that ripple effect of generations to come and like how the next generation won't be the first. Yeah. Like they're not going to be the first one to make six figures. Their reach isn't going to be as high or as hard because of the foundation and the groundwork we're doing today. So 50 years from now, what if there is no gap between what a white man makes and a woman and or a woman of color? Like that's, that's kind of where I would go. I go I'm like, yeah, you could be a part of that. I love it. I love it. And yes, the statue, the statue is a must, of course. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> Um, so the last question, I, I mentioned a couple books around negotiating and women asking, are there any, are, is there a book or any books that have been pivotal for you in your own development, be it personal or professional? Oh, I like, okay. I got it right here. So, uh, I got jumped by Steve Harvey, which is interesting. And I go through that. I got some, oldies. um, we should all be millionaires by Rachel Rogers. I have, I've read that several times and I like her approach because uh, she's a, I'm a mom. She's a mom. I, I like some of her um, approaches and I, t- the way she talks about millionaires, how I talk about six figures. Like we, like at this point, we all need to make six figures. Like, <laughs> like where we're at as a society, like, we, like six figures is the minimum. And I, so I like how she talks about that. Um, and as far as personal branding, this is a book and it's like, you can see I got tabs off. <laughs> You talk about going there. So it's like be a no BS guide to increasing your self-worth and net worth by simply being yourself by Jessica. I think her name, her last name is Zag, Zag. But I, you see, I got the tabs and everything. This is good. I think if you are a business owner and if you're looking for your career to be a brand, her and I have similar um philosophies around personal branding and she has built her business on personal branding and I think she has a million dollar business so I love this as well so (laughs) I was like not too many books do I tab and write in um but that was one I like some of her philosophies and and um and things like that so yeah those are the three that I kind of go back and forth through now. And then I want to start reading uh, Woman Evolved. A lot of people told me about that one. So I'm going to start reading that. Who's the author of that right. one? Sarah Jakes Roberts. Oh, okay. She's like T.D. Jakes' daughter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. So I want to read that one. Yeah. Okay. So we will add all three, three of those books to the show notes. And so 
as people are listening and they're like, oh my gosh, I, I need Latrice in my life. I need her help. I need her support. Where, where's the best place for people to connect with you, to reach out to you? Connect with me. I'm, I play on LinkedIn the most. <laughs> so you can just see Latrice Huff, career coach. You'll see me on LinkedIn. Um, and then my website is talentstays.com. And my email address is all on there. You can see all my contact information is on there. And yeah, reach out to me. I have a free workshop. Um, how to build your, how to get your six figure promotion as a woman of color. And it's, you sign up, it's free. You get the replay. And <laughs> I love and it. And you'll see that. Go to my profile. You'll see it. Yes. And you also have a podcast where you talk about this. You also bring on clients or you share testimonials as well. So tell us about the podcast. Yes, I forgot. Yes, I have a podcast, Career Coffee Chat for Women. Um, this is where I really go deep into some of my philosophies. This is like the school of literature and personal branding. I give a lot of tips. I give things that you can like take and use today in your career. So um, people like that. I actually also bring on my past clients. So people can see, people love that. So you can see that someone who looks like you, who was in the exact situation with as you is now, are now on the other side, those have been very, but I get the most feedback about those, um, about those podcast episodes with my clients. Well, thank you so much, Latrice. So audience, for those of you who are listening, all of Latrice's links are going to be in the show notes. So be sure to check those out. You can also check out the podcast as well. And her freebie, her freebie masterclass, definitely take that and, and, implement and apply some of the tips and and strategies that she provides there. For those of you who are listening, who do reach out to Latrice, please be sure to tell her that you heard her on the She Leads Now podcast. Latrice, again, I could talk to you for hours. This has been amazing. I have some takeaways that I'm going to, that I'm going to be applying as well. Um, And I, I know for the audience, either whether you're in business or whether you're in corporate America, there's definitely been some some nuggets of wisdom here to take away. So with that, thank you so much. Um, we will be back next week with another amazing female powerhouse and have a great rest of the week. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of She Leads Now. If you found today's episode helpful or got a piece of insight that you plan to implement in your business or organization, I would love to hear from you. Connect with me on LinkedIn at Sabine Gideon, that's my handle, and send me a private message or feel free to go ahead and leave a review on either Apple or Spotify. I also invite you to share this episode with anyone in your network who you think might benefit from this content. Lastly, be sure to check the show notes and the description below for links to resources, including relevant downloads, articles, and any upcoming training. Until we chat again, have a blessed and powerful week.